This morning I got the beautiful privilege of speaking to a lady who's been saved a total of two weeks. She's probably in her 30s, but just got saved two weeks ago. First time salvation in her 30s. And she's lived some life, I tell you, to get to that point. You know, she's gone without Jesus. So many years she's gone without help. And I got to speak to her this morning. I said, what is it like? Has your life changed over the last two weeks? And she began to cry. She said, you would not believe how my life has changed. It's like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. It's like I always had this voice that spoke to me, but I never realized who the voice was. I just thought it was intuition or gut feelings or, you know, just, you know, just my own self. But since two weeks ago, I'm hearing that voice and I'm recognizing that it's Jesus and he's talking to me. And, and over the last two weeks, he's been talking to me and sometimes I've pushed him away and sometimes he's come close and other times he's healed some pain in my heart. It's like a relationship, she said, and over the last two weeks I've got to know him a lot better. And I thought, oh, you need to preach, lady. <laughs> you need to preach for some Christians that have been sitting in church a long time and haven't got to know Jesus as well as you have in two weeks. It's so, it's so beautiful. My sermon tonight is entitled, How Much Is One Person Worth? How much is one soul worth? How much? How much is that lady worth to Jesus? If my whole life and my whole ministry... And everything that I had given to Jesus was for her. Would it have been worth it when I stand before him on that final day, when she stands next to me, when I look into those eyes, she looks into my eyes, and I would know that if it wasn't for me, she would not be in the kingdom. My goodness, I would do it all for that. Do you know what I'm saying? I would sow everything I have. I would give my whole life. I would give everything that I own for that. Let's look at this scripture, 2 Samuel 14.14, interesting scripture. Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. We all know we have to die, don't we? But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Just leave that up there. We know that we all have to die, is that right? But we know that we will all live forever as well. Do you know that every person will live forever? Every person has eternal life. But it depends on where you spend eternity. In Pentecostal churches, we don't talk a lot about heaven, we don't talk a lot about hell. But do you know what, it's real? It's real. And it's every person must die. Every person must die. But God does not take away life. He can't take away life. He can't zap out life. It's eternal. You see? But he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. He is trying. He is devising ways. You imagine when he first saw Tim Gittins and he's trying to work out, you know, Tim Gittins walking to this church, I mean, and he's trying to work out, how can I get Tim to go out in the altar? How can I get them to preach the right word today so it hits Tim's heart? How can I get them to say words that are going to make his heart come to me? He's devising ways. He put people in his path. Do you know how Tim Gittins got to church, by the way? He sold us a door. 
We needed a new front. After the floods came through and the floods hit our front door, it swelled up. We had an insurance claim, new front door. So we went down to the door, shop stop, and walked in, and there's Tim. And of course, as we do, we start to share with him. And then the next time we meet with him, we share with him again. And then Tim, he says, have you guys got anything going during the week? Yeah, we got some, like, new Christians classes kind of thing. He's not a Christian yet. I'll go to those. He goes to new Christians classes for eight weeks before he gets saved. Because <laughs> he had to work it all out. But that was ways and devices. God had worked out to reach Tim. And here he is today. It's awesome, isn't it? Let's just look at the next scripture, Tim. Thanks. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Everybody say, finish his work. When Jesus came onto the earth, Jesus was here to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was this, that he would save mankind. Jesus spilled his blood, gave his life, paid the sacrifice, amen, rose from the dead and gave it to us to finish the work. Next part. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Next part. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Next part. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. That's what Pastor Phil was just talking about. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Don't say four months more and then the harvest. The harvest is now. And you know, the harvest has always been now. Ever since Jesus shed his blood, it was harvest time. But there is, there is a turning of time. And there is a fulfillment of prophecy. And there is an unfolding of the perfect plan of God that is taking us to the culmination of all things, the culmination of all time. We went and saw Benny Hinn, as Pastor Phil said, and Benny Hinn actually said to us, listen, with the way that prophetic things are moving, I'm not saying this, but he said it wouldn't surprise me if Christ even came back in the next two months. Now, he's not saying that. We have to live in hope, amen? We have to live as if he's not coming back, but we have to live as if he is coming back at the same time. And just say, just say, Jesus was coming back not four months more, but it's harvest. How much harder would you work at getting souls? How much more would you do? How much more would you pray? Jesus said, my food is to do the will. Would you fast? And fast for souls. Would you lay down your life? Would you go to that neighbor next door that you've always been embarrassed to talk to? I just want, I want some volunteers right now. I'm just wondering if I can get the drama group. Jesse, do you know who's in your drama group? Just lining up here. So I need about 16 people. I need about 16 people. So if you, you, if you want to do drama, just line up there in front of me in one line there. Okay. 
Now, this is just a drama, okay? This is just a drama. All right, that's good. Okay. Okay, now if you could just, I'm sorry, Tim, to do this to you, but can you jump forward and put Revelations 2015 up for me? Thanks. Now, it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. So here I am. I have the book of life. Here it is right here. Now, what's your name, sir? Tim Giddens. Tim Giddens? Yes, sir, your name is here. Please stand over this side, over here. Over here. Over here. Thank you. What's your name, dear? Gail, sorry. I can't see your, your name. Over this side. No, no. I'm sorry, dear. I'm sorry, dear. What's your name, dear? Jessica Oldfield, you're there, Lamb's Book of Life. What's your name, sir? Ali, it's not here. I'm sorry. I can't see it anywhere. Over that side. I'm sorry. It's too late, son. No, I cannot check again. If it's not there, it's not there. What's your name, darling? Marina? Marina, 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 Marina. Sorry, darling. I'm sorry I can't find your name. Here, what's your name? Jason, Jason. Jason! Hello, Jason. Enter into eternal life. What's your name, sweetie? Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. Vicky. What's the last name? Oh, there's lots of Vickys here, but not a Duffy, darling. Over that side. I'm sorry. Next, thank you. Angus Balding. Angus Balding. Angus. <laughs> Check my email. Downloading now. Oh, yes, he's a latecomer. Over you go, dear. Over you go. Next one, darling. Georgia. Georgia what? There's many Georgias in the world, dear. Georgia Duffy. Another Duffy. Well, darling, your name is here. So you, I don't know what happened between these sisters here. What's your name? Crystal Ronning. Crystal, I see your name there. Your name? Natasha Smith. Natasha? Natasha. I'm sorry, dear. I can't, I can't find your name here. What's your name, dear? Alana who? Springfield. Alana, you, you're in, darling. You're in. What's your name, darling? Annalise who? Huh? I beg your pardon? You've got to speak up. The angel's a bit deaf. <laughs> Annalise Davis? Annalise, Annalise, Annalise. I'm sorry, darling. You're not here. What's your name, sweetheart? What is it, darling? Alana Cornwell. 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 Oh, if you would have said Cornwell, you would have made it, but Cornwell isn't in here. Courtney who? Courtney Troy. Courtney Troy. Courtney, you are here, darling. And sir? Daniel Crouch. Daniel Crouch. Daniel C's. In the C's. Daniel, you're in. Okay. Now I want everyone on this side of the stage who made it. Turn around all these people and show them your faces. Now look at them. Now listen, listen to me, there is a chasm between you. These people are crying, they're going to hell, they're going to burn. Give me some drama, people. What are you laughing for? Alright? Someone go and try and drag them back, quick. Come on, try and drag them in. Come on, come on. 
Get out of here. No, there's a line. There's a line. It's finished. It's over. It's over. It's over. Okay, thanks, guys. And I ask this question. Seriously. What it will be like on that day when you will see the faces of the neighbour, the friend, the family member that you never told. And they will stand on this side and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And it's too late. Thanks, guys. Can you imagine with the bushfires that just happened? You know, the bushfire, listen to me, the bushfires that just happened in Victoria. Let's just say someone in this congregation got a prophetic word from God that the bushfires were going to come, that were going to kill. How many people would die? 200 people, men, women, and children were going to burn alive. They were going to get, get in their cars, try and get away from this fire, but the fire was going to overtake them and burn them alive. And you got a prophetic word from God that it was going to happen, but you didn't go down and warn them. Especially the people that lived on the hill who had no escape. You didn't go. And then you see it on the news. You see the families mourning. You see the cars burnt. You see them, the body bags being hauled out. They can't identify the ruin, the remains, because they're so charred and burnt. You see the whole nation go into mourning. And you said, I knew it, and I never said a word. I never said it. I never went. How would you feel? How would it feel on that day when you see thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands being burnt in fires eternally and you never said a word and you thought you had a lot more time. I'm sure many of those people who lived in those farms thought they had a lot more time. They had their nice cows, their nice properties, they had a lot more time. I'm sure the Christians that lived in that town thought they had a lot more time to witness to them. You know, this morning, Pastor Phil talked about Oscar Schindler and um, I was reading a book that started to talk about Oscar Schindler and so it stirred up, you know, a desire to see the movie again. I think it's like 15 years old or something. I'm not sure how old it is. But this movie called Schindler's List was a profound movie and it really impacted Phil and I because it really does have such a parallel to Jesus and the saving of souls and the, and the passion for humanity that we all need to carry. And this movie, if you haven't seen it, is about a man called Oskar Schindler. And it's in the time of the Nazi war when Hitler is taken over and he's just killing Jews. And Oskar Schindler is a shrewd businessman. He has no money at all. And he sees that there is a great way that he can make money. He's an entrepreneur. He sees an opportunity to make money. And so he goes from Czechoslovakia, where he lives, and he goes to Poland, where they're now starting to put the Jews, rich Jews, into ghettos. And the Jews have got their fur coats on and their diamonds, and they've got bags full of money, but they're not allowed to trade. 
They're not allowed to buy and sell. Sound familiar in the last days? They're not allowed to buy and sell. They're not allowed to trade. And they're coming out of their mansions and their homes and every, their lifestyles and they're being taken to this ghetto, this world city where there's 12, 15 people to a room to live with just disgusting circumstances. And he approaches this guy who seems to be a bit of a spokesman. He's an accountant. He's a smart guy. And he approaches him and he says, hey, help me out here. Do you know three, I need three Jews, three that have got money. I need three Jews. They can't buy, they can't sell, they can't do anything with their money. They're just going to take their money off them anyway. So why not give it to me and I'll start a business and I promise to employ the Jews and get, so they can get out of the ghetto. And so he doesn't do it for any other reason than for selfish gain. He finds these three Jews, they give him bags of money and he sets up this factory that makes pots and pans in the wall. And he's using the Jews to make these pots and pans. And, you know, he doesn't care about them, but he doesn't hate them either. He's a Nazi, but he doesn't hate Jews. But he doesn't really care about them either. They're just something by which he can make money. He's a drinker. He's a gambler. He's, he's a womanizer. He cheats on his wife. He's a pretty low-life kind of guy, but he just wants to make money. And something happens in this story as it unfolds He starts to see these Jews not just as numbers, not just as people with stars, but as human beings. He starts to get to know them. He starts to get to know who they are and why they worship the way they do. He starts to get to know their hearts. And he starts to actually fall in love with them, even though he's trying not to, trying desperately not to, because he could be killed for liking Jews. He would be killed, you know. And so it gets to this place where he's got these guys working for him, And the war escalates, quickly escalates. And now it's to a place where the war, the the, the war is changing and Hitler is losing ground. So Hitler panics and just says, exterminate all Jews now. Exterminate them. Burn them, gas them, do whatever you can, exterminate. And they don't, they don't call this war crime, they call it murder. Mass murder. Six million Jews were mass murdered. The majority of them burnt in raging infernos. Disgusting. And it's got to this point where Hitler's just freaking out. Exterminate them now. And so they come to the factory, they get all his workers, and they they cart them off to these places where they're going to burn them or gas them. And he doesn't know what to do, Schindler, so he just says, well, I'll just go home. And he says to this accountant, I'm really sorry, my friend, we've become good friends, but there's nothing more that I can do. These people are going to be burnt, they're going to be killed, there's nothing I can do, but one day this will all be over and maybe we can forget about it and get on with our lives. But I've got enough money that any man could live a whole lifetime and more on, and I'm just going to go home and live my life. You see? And he has a sleepless night and he paces the floor and then suddenly something happens inside of him. And you see him wake up in the morning and get all his money, bags and bags and bags of money. And you see him go and he goes before this crazy general who just has, just loves killing people. It's his trip. He was crazy. And he goes before him and he says these words. How much is one life worth? How much is one Jew worth to you? He says, look, get the Poles. They can work for you. Don't worry about the Jews. I need to exterminate you. No, 
I want Jews. They're trained. I've trained them. Now, he had people working for him with one arm because this accountant said, you need this guy. He's a very good worker. He's only got one arm, but he's a good worker. You need this little kid because he worked out who was going to be killed next and he would get them in, this accountant guy. And then Schindler got onto it and said, ah, that's what's going on. And so he's, he's saying, you know, I want the Jews. How much are they worth to you? And he's got bags of money. So he just proceeds to bargain. If you give me one, how much money do you want? One. Give me one. And he says, okay, they work out a price that this guy's going to get paid. And he goes back and sits with the accountant and he starts to write a list. Can you imagine what it was like for him to write that list, to know that there were six million Jews being slaughtered and he had a factory that could only employ so many? And he's writing, and he's writing the names of ones that he knows, ones that he's worked with, ones that he knows their children. He's starting to write their names, write his name down. And they're up all night, write that name. Then he said, how many are on the list now? How many? He says, 450. It's not enough. More, more, more. I need more. And then this guy looks at him and he says, how did you get this general to release these Jews to you? What did you do? And then the penny drops. He says, you're buying them, aren't you? You're buying them, aren't you? And you just, yeah. And they go through the list. They finally, they get 1,100 people on that list. And he goes in and he buys human souls because if they're in his factory, they won't be burned. And Phil was saying, on the way, there was one train of men and then one train of women and children. The, the, the train of men made it to Czechoslovakia. He took them to Czechoslovakia to safety, to his factory. He built a factory especially for them. And he spent all his money buying them. And then the one train with the women and the children, by a clerical error, didn't make it. And it took them off. It was at What's that place called? Auschwitz. He says it good. And, and, you know, there's actually, there's actually, it looks like it's snowing as the train arrives, but actually it's the ash of human bodies being burnt. And the, and the women arrive on the train. They're trying to say, we don't belong here. We belong to, we're on the list. We're on the list. We don't belong here. We're on the list. We're on the list. And they said, shut up, you know, and they get them and they take them in and they cut all their hair off and they strip them naked, all the women and children, and they put them into this place where they just, the women think they're going to be gassed, but they actually just get sprayed with water. So they have to go through this whole thing where they just hold their breath, they think they're going to be gassed, and then they're just washing them because they're going to use them as workers for a while before they kill them because they're healthy. And they get taken off to these barracks and... It's just a matter of time. And they're watching, as they go to the barracks, they're watching the lines of people go down into this basement that goes into the furnace that's burning all the people. And they're trying to think, we're on the list. So Schindler finds out, and he's there. He races there, trying to intercede. How many people know how important it is to intercede, to pray, to intercede, to stand in the gap? It's desperate times. Violent people take the kingdom of God by force. These are violent times we live in. People are dying like that, like that, right now, right now. As I'm speaking, they're going to an eternal hell right now, right now, right now, right now. So he goes to intercede for these women and these children. And he goes into this horrible general. I had 300 on that train. 
and it got diverted. I want them. No, I can't. It's too much paperwork, too much paperwork. I'll give you a fresh 300. Like they're cattle. But they're people. Do you know what I'm saying? They're people. Each one of them, through the movie, you got to know their story and their children and their lives. And you're looking at them and he's talking about them like they're cattle. 300, I want them. And he just pours out these diamonds on the table. He said, I want them. And the guy takes the diamonds, they do a deal, and he gets the women and the children. He's getting them onto the train. And then they start grabbing the children, and the children are being ripped from the mother's arms, taking them away to be burnt, because they're thinking, these are useless, they can't work in a factory. How could they be workers in a factory? Let's kill all the children. And you see Oscar Schindler come out of the crowd and say, Stop! Stop! Now! What are you doing with these children? They're my children. They're on my list. And they say, These children can't work. He said, Look at these fingers. They're little fingers. They can clean the inside of a shell. I'm going to make ammunition. No one else's fingers can get inside this... And he saves the children. Get them on the train. Get them on the train. And he gets these women and children and he gets them to this factory. He gives them all hot soup and bread and he spores them rotten. And he says this to them. He says, never in this factory will we make a shell that works because I'll never use you to kill your own people. And he actually produces a factory that produces duds and then he goes and buys real shells and sells them to the Germans because he will never let the people kill each other. So amazing. The war finishes, and at the end of the war, they realize that these 1,100 Jews have made it. And he now, as a Nazi, will be tried as a war criminal for employing Jews for slave labor and for making ammunition for the Nazis. As an honest man, he was going to be tried. But he didn't care. There was something about laying down his life for these 1,100. It's so profound when he stands in front of them and the Nazis are there and he says to these people, you have been liberated. At midnight tonight, you will be liberated. And I will be taken captive. The tide's going to turn. But I will do it again. You know, and then he says to the Germans, you can shoot them right now. I know you've been ordered to exterminate them. You can shoot them right now if you want. Or you can go home to your families as men and not murderers. And every Nazi turns around and walks out. And the 1,100 are left standing there. There's just a few comparisons I want to make here. Oscar Schindler paid a price. How much is one life worth? Jesus paid a price with his own blood. Amen. Oscar Schindler had a list. If you were not on the list, you were taken to be burned. And we see that God has a list. If you're not on the list, you're taken to be burned. It says in Matthew 8:14, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He doesn't want it to happen. His heart cry is right now, where's the Oscar Schindlers in the world? 
Where are the ones that will stand in the gap? Where are the ones that will see the urgency of the times and devise ways and means to save people and to rescue the lost? It was funny when we first were going to go and uh, we weren't even going to plant the church, but Phil had finished Bible college. And his prophecy at Bible college, we didn't even know we were going to plant a church. Part of his prophecy was this, you will have a rescue shop a yard from hell. That was part of the prophecy over our lives in 1990. You will have a rescue shop a yard from hell. Do you know what? We got it. We got a rescue shop a yard from hell. That woman that I spoke to this morning, she was a yard from hell, but we rescued her, didn't we? Every soul that comes onto this altar, it isn't just a religious experience. Pastor Phil says rejoice, rejoice over one soul. Pray, pray that they be saved. This is real. This is life and this is death. The beautiful thing at the end of Schindler's story that those Jews were liberated into complete freedom. And one day, everyone that we save will be liberated into complete freedom forever and ever. How much is one person worth? I want to just play you this short snippet of Schindler's List. We've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. Good, what about the 
this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. There's been two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is there. For this. I could have got one more person. And I did. <laughs> How much is one soul worth? One person. Can you imagine if you get to the end of your life, you're standing before Jesus, and you think, I could have got one more person. I wasted my money, I spent my money, I went and got my hair cut instead of giving the tithe, and that money could have saved another soul. I didn't pray when God asked me. I didn't do enough. Listen, it's not too late. We aren't home yet. We're still here. We're going to right now, we're going to do something different. We're going to take up the tithes and offerings. If you want to write a check, you can write to Christian City Church, Tugra. If you need an envelope to give by credit card, put up your hand. There's one there down the front. Just keep your hand up if you need an envelope. You can give online. And also there's an FPOS machine at the end of the service where you can give. There's someone over here that needs an envelope, please. Bring some envelopes quickly. One here, one here. Any more need envelopes? What I'm saying is this. Sometimes when we do the tithes and offerings messages, and we didn't do one tonight purposely, because sometimes you just turn off. You just go, what for? Here we go again. They're after my money. They're after my money. Do you know what? Do you know what we can do with this money? We can You heard him say that I had so much money. You don't know how much money I wasted. What about this car? I could have sold this car. That was 10 more people would have been that car. This pin could have been two people, one person. Is it worth holding on to? That's my first question to you tonight. As Julie sings this song, I'm not going to ask the buckets to go around just yet. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to contemplate. How much is one soul worth? How much is one soul worth? Just start to prepare your tithes and offerings as Julie sings. And then I want to continue to pray for you after that. It's time to awaken. It's time to know. There's 
serious times at hand. How many more can we get? How many more friends are one Christian unsaved yet? How many more? How many more neighbours are there? How many more people are working door places that need to be saved when you go in to buy something? How many are there? They're out there. They're everywhere. There may be some in here tonight that you're realising, I need to get saved. Bless that offering for a harvest of souls. Amen. Amen. I was explaining to someone just yesterday, someone was asking me, is this all worth it? Is it all worth it? What have you done? You've given your whole life over for this thing. This isn't, I haven't given my life over, I explained to this person, for a building, for a church. For religion, I've given my life over for the lives of human beings. That they would see eternity with me. I've been given this grace, amazing grace, it's been given to me. I cannot keep it to myself. I don't know about you, I cannot contain it. The grace that is saved me under has to pour out to the multitudes and to the multitudes. Until I take my last breath, I will still be preaching Jesus Christ and his salvation. Amen. Amen. Stand up. Come on. Jesus. Sing as we chili.
going to take a few minutes just to pray for people tonight. If that message has really hit you tonight and you go, God, I'm sorry. I want to get more urgent about this. I want to talk to that neighbour. I want to talk to that friend. I want to do more. Come right now to the altar. Quickly come. Run. Run out. Run out. If you want to be more serious about this gospel, run. Run. Now start to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I want souls. Come on. Let intercession come out of you. Let intercession come out. Think of the soul. What is one soul worth? How many more can you get? How many more can we get? Start to pray. God, use me. Use me, God. Use me for your harvest. Show me the faces, God. Let me pray. Let me reach them. Let me touch them, oh God. Touch me. Invite me, God. Come on, let it come. Let the intercession come. Let the burden come. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I release a burden. Pastor Phil and I release a burden for souls. Souls from heaven. At the beginning of this service, I was praying about my message and I literally saw a harvesting angel come down into this place with a sickle. And I believe that the harvesting angel is going to come and he's going to release a new anointing on you to preach the gospel, to save the lost, and to get serious about the days we live in. Amen? Amen? Amen. Touch them, Jesus. Touch them, oh Lord. Touch them. I just want to pray this for you. Just witnessing is so easy. It's just glancing people with a friendly smile and a measured statement that God loves them, meaning that, hey, friend, I believe in you. Hey, friend you valuable. Hey friend, I dignify you by giving you quality time. People know it and people find out you're a Christian. You haven't even preached or done anything. All you've said is that, hey, I think you're important. I think you're significant. Aussies, your friends and mine need to know that they're significant and important. You can do that by dignifying them. No matter how they look, who they are, just say, hey, I believe in you. Hey, and if they want to ask more about it, then you can give them something of what God is and what his gospel is about. So, Father, right now, fresh anointing upon every single person here to communicate, to testify, to be a witness unto Christ in their daily life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. May they do it effortlessly. May they do it in the anointing. May they do it easy-peasy style without it being a burden, without it being embarrassing. But right now, fresh anointing upon you, madam, upon you, sir, young person, fresh anointing upon you to convey the reality of Christ. 